Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And we're back yet again, another week upon us. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. You may be looking around saying, wait a second, it's only Tuesday. That's right. It's only Tuesday. That's because this is one of two episodes of Late Kick Extra that you'll get this week and every week through the end of the college football season. I told you, I wasn't lying. Get us to 500 five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts and you will be rewarded if you consider more of me a reward. And now you've done it, and so you're stuck with me. And not only do you get two episodes per week now of Late Kick Extra, which is the show we're doing now, it's just pure Q&A format, your questions, my responses to them, you also get every audio version of Late Kick Live, which we do on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And good news there, we're going to three shows per week there. So Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, we're live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Please subscribe there if you haven't already. And then the following morning, you get the podcast version of that show here. So we have got a loaded show here. I've given you the format updates. You know where to go. You know what to do. Keep those five-star reviews coming. Subscribe everywhere you can possibly subscribe. And I also wanted to address this right off the top. A lot of you have been reaching out. A lot of you are in high school, college, or maybe you just love this and you want an extra hobby. A lot of you reach out and say, hey, is there anything I can do? And not asking for jobs or anything. It's just kind of, you know, could I help out here or there? Yes, you can. A lot of you know this. A lot of you have kind of worked on the side with me for a while now. But it's a pretty big operation to try and do this at a quality national level. And I've got some friends that help me behind the scenes with that. And so if you want to be a part of that, I have no problem with you reaching out. JoshPate706 at gmail.com at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. The DMs are always open, and we'll talk about what you could possibly do there. But we have a lot of fun. It's a fun way to be involved in the process because a lot of you, obviously, if you're hearing my voice, you listen anyway, and you watch the shows anyway. And so I've had a lot of fun getting to know some of you over the years by doing just that, kind of working together with you behind the scenes. So here we go. You've submitted a lot of questions. We will do another episode of this that will drop Thursday, and that's the way it'll be, Tuesday and Thursday, for this version, the Late Kick Extra podcast, every week. And Vince starts us off, very familiar territory right now. Vince says, is there any hope of a Big Ten season? I think what Vince means is a fall version of a Big Ten season. So I'm not sure when you'll be listening to this, maybe if you're catching it tomorrow morning as I'm recording here Monday night. So if you're catching this Tuesday morning, probably not much has changed since I've recorded this. But hey, any 24-hour news cycle brings new and exciting things these days in the Big Ten. Vince, I, I never say never is what I would say to there being hope or no hope of a Big Ten season this fall. Because really, if you'll notice, there is a precious lack of information right now. I mean, credible information. I know we've seen reports, but Keep in mind, just recently, in the past 24 to 48 hours, we've seen some reports come out of the Big Ten, and we've seen legal action that forced the Big Ten to leak through certain mediums and also state themselves. It was an 11-3 to 3 vote up here. 11-3. to 3, Overwhelming that we voted to postpone this season. So see, now you all should be satisfied and no more backtracking and no more dragging our name through the mud. And for the record, I don't think we've heard the last of that. And probably more coming on that today, Tuesday, as we're looking at the legal proceedings going on in Nebraska. But look at what we heard from various outposts in the Big Ten just regarding that subject. We had folks at Penn State in leadership positions and Minnesota in leadership positions very recently openly speculating as to whether or not there even was a vote. And so my point through all this has been, if they don't know, 
then how in the world would we know? So I say that, and everything seems doom and gloom right now. And I certainly wouldn't place money on a Big Ten season starting in October or anything like that. Certainly not. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. Please don't take that away from this. But what I am saying, and what I said on Late Kick Live the other night is, these lawsuits, these legal processes, they can be very, very interesting. Processes, processes, whatever the case may be. They can be really interesting. See, when I start talking about things that go on in a courtroom... I start trying to sound a lot smarter than I am. Like our, our Bud Elliott has a law degree from Alabama. And so anytime I have a legal question, I just text him. And sometimes I'll use really fancy terminology and jargon. Like any other day of the week, if I were talking about multiple things that were put on Facebook, I would just call them Facebook statuses. But if I were talking about it in a legal context, if there was a lawsuit about those statuses, I would refer to them as Facebook stati which I would pass off as the plural of status. I digress. So whatever the terminology we need to use here, I think there's a lot more that could come out of this. That discovery process you always hear so much about that has famously presented us mind-blowing, big-time stories in the annals of college football history. There it is, annals. Stress the right, uh, stress the right vowels there. You, know, you remember Hugh Freeze, for example? I mean, did we know anything about his extra cell phone, his burner cell phone, calling certain numbers down in Florida? Would we ever have known that if not for the discovery process? No, we would not. But yet we did. And so I'm not telling you I know anything specifically. What I am telling you is when I see someone fighting to keep something private that doesn't really seem like it would be a big deal, I pay attention to it. You know, you and I may look and say, what's the big deal about releasing a vote count? What's the big deal about releasing correspondence that may have been had between your commissioner and university presidents and chancellors about this? I mean, everything should have been on the up and up anyway, because you're discussing something that if you have really credible, in the words of Kevin Warren, abundantly clear data on that suggests no one should be playing football, shouldn't you be rushing to the nearest microphone and camera and podium to present it to the public? And so when you're trying to hide that kind of correspondence. And when it seems like, at least, you're trying to hide those sorts of things, I pay attention. And so I'll continue to pay attention here. And you never know who could be getting backed into a corner right now and who could be looking to save face this time next week and who could be on the defensive this time next week that we have no way of knowing about. So for that reason, Vince, I would not say absolutely unequivocally no fall season. I wouldn't say that at all. I would be mildly surprised at it, but then again, I think this summer has taught us really not to be too surprised at anything. Now, extending off that, how bad really does this just flat out suck for the actual student athletes who we're claiming to try and protect so much here, coaches, football people, fans, just folks who really care about it as it appears on the surface, just the game of football. I mean, it, sue me, that's what we care about here. How bad does it suck? I know a lot of you, maybe if you're not a Big Ten fan or not a Pac-12 fan, you know, maybe it's no tears shed for your enemy. Well, you know, if you remove yourself a little bit from it and maybe you're just rooting for what's best for college football, to look at Central Arkansas playing the other night against Austin P, and to realize that Ryan Day is sitting at home having to watch that, saying that, okay, the climate exists apparently for these two teams to play and do it safely. By the way, no positive tests after that game was released earlier today for Central Arkansas. So they're able to pull that off safely. And you're telling me they're doing it with fractions of the resources that we have in the Big Ten. And you're telling us that not only can we not, it's abundantly clear that we can't. Can you imagine? Think about how the season ended for Ohio State last year. And imagine the team you have coming back. And imagine being told, nope, Rutgers vote counts the same as yours, and they didn't want to play. Now, who, who was the other? Uh, Michigan State voted no, and I know there were rumors of maybe some interference with the governor up there, and I don't even want to wade into all that. But just imagine watching that, how infuriating that must be. And here's the other thing before I move on from this, Vince, that I will just tell you to kind of pay attention to because I paid attention to it. Have you noticed that the players in the Big Ten and the coaches in the Big Ten – they aren't nearly as outspoken, their parents are, but they themselves are not nearly as outspoken right now as maybe they were a week or two weeks ago. Could be nothing, could be nothing at all. Or it could be that maybe 
it's evident behind the scenes that wheels are moving a little bit more positively than it appears on the surface. So that's just a straight up guess. It's just a general observation. That's about the best I can give you right now, Vince. But hey, I'm hoping right along with you. Next up, question for Late Kick Extra, which you're listening to right now. Five-star reviews are appreciated. That wasn't in the question. This is, if Florida cannot get over the hump this year and beat Georgia, do you think they could become what Michigan is today? Forever glum because they cannot win the only game they really care about, and they're no longer perceived as a true grade-A national contender. That's an interesting question. I think, it, I think for that matter, Florida and Michigan, I have viewed as being on pretty comparable trajectories. Um, where was I? I don't know. I was at some bowl game. I remember when they played in the Peach Bowl a couple of years ago, and I remember watching it, thinking to myself, I'm not someone who really draws a lot out of the final of one bowl game, but I just kind of remember thinking, you know, these two were sitting here, and they really, it's a good point that's made in the question here. They both have a giant in their way. Now, it feels like Florida is a whole heck of a lot closer to Georgia than Michigan is to Ohio State right now, but that's the bottom line. It's that you happen to reside in a division where there is one of the big boys, one of the top five annuals in college football standing in your way. And you can keep winning and you can keep winning, you know, 75 to 85 percent of your games and contending for New Year's Day bowl trips. But that only matters until you watch your rival playing in the SEC championship game or the Big Ten championship game every year and contending for the playoff or being in the playoff every year. So this is a good question here. And I think the answer is yes. Now, let me draw this caveat right alongside that answer. I don't down Michigan right now. Like I don't, I don't paint them in a negative light because they haven't been able to get over the hump and that hump being one of the best programs in America. I know what the job is of the Michigan head coach. I know what he's compensated. I know all that. You don't have to tell me that. But what I'm saying is behind Ohio State. They don't compare to Ohio State right now. So let's get that out of the way. We don't need to debate that. Behind that, how many more programs are you putting ahead of Michigan? You're putting Alabama up there, yes. You're putting Clemson up there, yes. Uh, you're putting Oklahoma up there. Ohio State, of course, is up there. But do you notice once we get past basically the same group of programs that uh, tend to be ahead of everyone in America, once we get past that group, then who are we throwing up there? Are we throwing Florida up there? I mean, LSU uh, is a team that just won a national championship, so the 2019 version of LSU would have certainly been up there. But in terms of staying power, still remains to be seen for LSU. I have my thoughts on that, but it remains to be seen. You notice how Michigan sort of is favorable when you compare them to the group behind the top four or so in the sport. Notre Dame's another one that you would throw in there. So that's not a bad group to be in, is what I'm saying. And if Florida were to go another two or three years and not beat Georgia, and that's the crowd they hang out in, it's not bad. The one thing that I've noticed, the one kind of path that I've seen um, analysts go down and fans go down in the world of college football is it always has to be a couple of extremes. And there's rarely room in the middle. And what I mean is you either look at a team and they're great or they suck. You know, you, it, I always used to hear this with the LeBron versus MJ debate, which I've never wasted 10 seconds of my life on. But it always seems like in order to prop one up, you have to denigrate the other. And my approach in those sorts of debates has always been, I'm not lowering myself to the level of having this debate. But secondly, if you want to have it here, I'll end it in five seconds. I'm going to give you first pick and I'll take whoever's left over. And that's how I always win the LeBron MJ debate. And you can't, you can't quite make that same... Uh, conversation work here. But when you're talking about Florida or Michigan, and if they continue to not be able to get over that hump, well, you're naturally going to have a big crowd that says they're terrible. They suck. Well, no, they don't actually. They're probably still in reality, one of the seven, eight, nine, or 10 best programs in America. The standard may be higher there, but you're a lot closer to being elite if you're the number eight team in the country or the eight program in the country, you're a lot closer to being elite than you are to, quote unquote, sucking at that point. That's all I want to caution against. So yes, the answer to the question is, yeah, if they don't get over that hump, they absolutely will be compared to Michigan. I just won't throw both of them in the dumpster after I make the comparison. Next question is from Noel Daddy. In your last episode, oh boy, he caught me. A lot of you caught me. I forgot about this. 
Shame on me. Here, hold on. Let me pull my wrist up here. All right, there we go. I've punished myself. Never worked with my parents, and it's probably not going to work with old Noel Daddy. So Noel Daddy says, in your last episode, you named the best job in every Power 5 conference except the ACC. So what about the ACC? I think FSU and Miami due to history and recruiting grounds, but what say you? Uh, well, I had it written down. I have no clue why I didn't answer it. A couple of you hit me up on Twitter, and I answered it there. So you say FSU and Miami. I think a lot of people would probably say that. I think a decade ago, I would have chosen, well, probably Florida State if we're talking about a decade ago. I think it's changed. I think the answer is Clemson. Hear me out here. A lot of folks would draw back on tradition and say, well, Florida State and Miami have better historical tradition and uh, than, than Clemson would, and their trophy cases may be more impressive historically than Clemson's. Then maybe that's true. But here's my point. Once you've done it for seven or eight years, like Clemson's done it now, think about what you've done. They've overhauled everything. And we're asking, by the way, the entire debate here was, what are the best jobs in each conference? So in the ACC, theoretically, I am an elite head coach, and I'm a free agent, and I have my choice of any program. Really, I don't care a whole heck of a lot what you did in 1987 or even 97 or even really 2007. Now, 2017, I do care about. Uh, 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, I care about. Clemson has been successful in those years, and it's not really the records I care about. It's what comes with those records. Because with the contention and then subsequent national championships, you had a flood of elite recruits, which changed the recruiting profile nationally of Clemson. You also had a flood of donor money come to the table. Winning often does that. And so they've overhauled everything up there. They've overhauled facilities. Everything is immaculate at Clemson now to where if I'm a head coach, that's where I want to walk into. So for those reasons, I think Clemson has become the best job in the ACC. Next up is JVO. How will the Texas defense look this year under a more aggressive scheme? With so many young guys pressed into action due to injury last year, I think it helps. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And I was going back and forth with someone the other day because I was talking about the competition right now. If you look at those practice reports and you listen to some of the intel that we're privy to out of Texas, really, really good competition going on in their secondary right now. And they also have an extremely deep defensive line, probably one of the best defensive line depth situations in all of college football, Big 12 or elsewhere. And Chris Ash has come in there as a new, def a new defensive coordinator and the practice reports, it's kind of weird because they've been so glowing. Everyone who's close to Texas has spoken so glowingly of what they've looked like defensively so far. Not perfect, but they have spoken glowingly enough that fans, I, I know I was looking over on the Horns 24-7 site the other day and someone said, um, well, okay, everything sounds great. Uh, what were we? Were we just missing an elite coordinator the whole time? Were we just one good defensive coordinator away from being a great defense? And I understand the sentiment. I mean, because you can't speak any better of the Texas defense than what people close to that program have spoken about the Texas defense so far. Now, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen them in game action. And because practices have been closed down, you're really relying on a few hopefully credible, informed sources to make your evaluations right now. And that's just kind of the way it is. And inevitably, we're going to whiff a whole lot more often than maybe even you normally do collectively on judging what someone's going to be versus what they end up being. Will that be the case with Texas? I don't know. I just know people who have not typically led us astray in the past have, have, have had some really good things to say about Texas and still do. So yeah, I think that right now, aggression, you know, everyone says they're going to be more aggressive. No one ever comes in and says, we're going to dial down the aggression. Yeah, it figures to be a more aggressive scheme. Those young guys, though, how many of them they had to play last year? And make no mistake, if Mr. Orlando, former defensive coordinator, would have had all those guys on the field, he may not be out of a job right now. Well, he may not be elsewhere. He's not out of a job. I guess he is, the way things turned out at USC in the Pac-12. So I say all that to say this. Chris Ash could benefit twofold. The first is he's got a lot of players who got experience who otherwise wouldn't have gotten experience because of injuries last year, which is going to make him look better. 
It's kind of like Kevin Steele coming in after Will Muschamp left at Auburn. And Steele had a lot of guys who had gotten some experience because of injury and whatnot, and Muschamp also recruiting pretty well at Auburn. And uh, some people said, Kevin Steele, night and day difference. And other people said, well, I'm not so sure that Will Muschamp didn't have a little something to do with that. Now, Kevin Steele's gone on to validate himself quite well. I'm not saying Chris Ash will be any different at Texas. But the other thing is, Chris Ash is highly thought of in the Big 12 and college football. Highly thought of. And so the part B here, part A is he benefits from a lot of guys getting early exposure last year and not being nearly as green now as a result. Part B is he's just a heck of a coach. They got one at Texas now. They got one by the name of Alex Grinch at Oklahoma. And I want you guys to pay attention to this. You may not see it this year, but things are going to start trending a little different direction in the Big 12. I know you're used to watching pinball football out there, but at Oklahoma, they are dead serious about getting that defense right. And at Texas, they are dead serious about getting that defense right. And I can tell you at Oklahoma, the roster movements and recruiting back it up. Now, they haven't loaded their roster up yet. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while. And at Texas, same thing. But watch it. Just watch it and watch the style of play slowly shift in the Big 12 over the coming years. Next up is AU Eagle 714. Speaking of the Tigers, he says Bo Nix and Owen Papo will be juniors next year, and Auburn will get Georgia and Bama at home next year. What are their chances of going on a title run next year? I can't believe we're doing this. I. I did a segment on Auburn the other night. This is not meant to be disrespectful to the, uh, to the listener, but I was doing a segment on Auburn the other night on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel where we host Late Kick Live. And I did a segment called Auburn the Biggest Mystery Team in 2020. And I listed all the reasons that the orange and blue angel on one shoulder would tell me that, hey, they're going to shock the world this year. And then I listed probably a few more reasons that the red devil or crimson devil or purple and gold devil on the other shoulder told me that they were going to bomb terribly this year and just crater into the earth. And I said all that to say, this is the most unpredictable team in America this year. And we're going to do our Auburn as well as many other teams season grand previews coming up in the next few weeks on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So subscribe there because you won't get it anywhere else. We won't have that in podcast form. It won't even be on Late Kick Live. It'll just appear on the channel there, seemingly out of nowhere. And I was doing the entire segment on the basis of, I've been doing some research on Auburn. I have no clue what I'm going to predict here. Luckily, I don't have to do the video tonight. I have no clue what I'm going to predict. And the reason I'm saying that is because uh, AU Eagle 714, I have not the slightest clue what to say about them in 2020. So I certainly don't know what to say about him in 2021. Your guess is as good as mine, brother. Next up is Andrew. Some teams are sitting at around 22 verbal commits right now, and the season has not even started. Do you think teams will pause taking verbal commitments for a bit, or could programs like Tennessee and Florida go past 25? Interesting question. Very interesting question. So remember at the outset of COVID, when Spring ball got canceled, so as a result, staffs like Tennessee and pretty much every other staff, they just really went into overdrive in recruiting. And Tennessee, that was a painful hiccup, Tennessee garnered a lot of verbal commitments, and they racked them up really, really quick. Alabama is a program that took the opposite approach. They were a lot more measured and thorough, and not to say either is right or wrong, but it was just a different approach. Well, now... You know, Alabama has since loaded up their verbal commit roster, too, and Tennessee is still sitting, as you said, in the low 20s. I didn't look it up. I should have. And so the question Andrew asks is, uh, well, uh, it's it's only early September here. Like, are we going to pump the brakes? Are we going to drop some guys? Or are they just going to fly past 25? Well, they're not flying past 25. I can tell you that pretty confidently. So I think what could happen is you could have a lot more churn. And by churn, I mean a lot higher percentage than usual of guys who may be in your class right now who won't be in your class come early signing period. If we have one, that's still undecided too. Everything's up in the air. It's like there is no firm ground under the answer of any question out there right now about college football. But I'm not speaking about Tennessee here, just generically, Tennessee included. I think you'll have a lot higher churn rate on average for these big programs because remember a lot of these guys – were taken as verbal commitments before you had 
well, you didn't have senior film on them, obviously, but you hadn't gotten some of them in a camp setting. And to go a step further, a lot of big time names, four and five star names are committed to programs that even to this day, they have not set foot on campus with. So the initial assumption was we're going to have a wave of decommitments. But see, we were saying that in April, May, June, under the assumption that eventually, you know, COVID restrictions are going to lift and we'll have a normal college football season and we'll have just a flood of official visits in the fall. And naturally, guys will see that maybe I'm not a great fit here or maybe I'm committed somewhere, but I like it here a lot better. Bada bing, bada boom. Well, to this point, Aside from players taking it upon themselves to unofficially visit, places like Oklahoma and Georgia have done this recently with groups of players taking it upon themselves to organize unofficial visit weekends. Aside from those blips on the radar screen, you still haven't really gotten an opportunity. So in a way, not much has changed from what we were talking about two and a half, three months ago. And I think a lot of coaches sort of planned on things being a lot more back to normal in the recruiting world at this point than they are. So could it be one of those classic conundrums of, oh, we're sitting here with 22. Oh boy, we got six out here we know we could take a verbal from right now. Do we want to do it and just make some tough decisions later? Do we want to tell a kid in September as his senior year of football starts, sorry, you don't have a committable offer, and then watch him blow up? his senior year, and then just shove it in our face when he goes to play for our rival. Now, they are paid seven figures a year to figure this out, so we're not feeling sorry for them. But even if you're paid a trillion dollars a year, a hard decision is a hard decision. So, Andrew, I don't know really how that's going to shake out, and this is not really a good sign because I think I have arrived at the conclusion of I don't know for like three questions in this podcast so far. Hopefully you'll keep listening, but... um, You know, if I'm being honest with you, that's how you have to answer a lot of questions. No lie right now, because I'll tell you this. When we ask coaches, they say that. When we ask people inside college football, inside programs and inside the industry, that's the answer you get to a lot of questions, recruiting and otherwise. Just, I don't know. And they're not trying to blow you off. It's just, they don't know. We don't know. I don't know. Next up, J-Hose, 56. With a team like FSU that figures to be below average offensively and above average to potentially really good defensively, how will that impact the tempo that Mike Norvell calls plays at? Typically, up-tempo offenses are not conservative while prioritizing field position. It's a really good question here, and you could apply that to a number of different places to a varying degree, places where you have a new staff you know, it's beyond just a new offensive coordinator at FSU. They got an entire new staff at FSU. So you're installing new everything. But there are a lot of places where they have either new staffs or new offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators, but we're talking offense here, and they didn't have spring. So you know the deal by now. And I was talking to someone the other day, and usually the the approach with your freshman in camp, when you first get them on campus, a lot of coaches take the approach with their freshmen that they just throw everything at them. You know, there's one approach that says you ease them in, but then there's another approach that says you just throw everything at them and 80% of it's going to fall to the floor. Okay. 20% of it sticks to the wall though. So leave what's stuck to the wall up there and then pick up the 80% and throw it all at them again. And then hopefully 25 more percent sticks. And so you just keep throwing it, keep throwing it, keep throwing it until enough of it sticks that you feel confident putting them on the field. You're not waiting to see if a guy can do it right. Hopefully they rep it so much that they can't get it wrong. That is normally the standard with which you want to wait to put a guy on the field. Probably not going to be able to meet that standard to a critical mass this year. So what do you do? If you're Mike Norvell, you got two options. You can either run your entire playbook, your entire offense, and probably look foolish in the process, or you can adjust. Because you can either adjust, or you can ask a roster full of guys to adjust. And listen, you know you're capable of adjusting. doesn't matter how nice you ask them. They're only capable of what they're capable of. So it's not like they can expand their mind and expand their physical and mental capability. You, however, can adjust. And I think you'll probably see Mike Norvell running what he calls a fraction of his offense 
in the early portion of the season. And not even just that. I mean, even if it's executed perfectly, he's not even capable at the early points of this season of running his entire offense. But then you start talking about mistakes being made. And you start talking about all the things that you would normally be ironing out outside of the public view in a scrimmage setting. And that stuff's going to be happening on national TV. So for those reasons, I, I really tend to believe that, you know, the up-tempo and how quickly do you call plays, down-to-down, series-to-series, I don't know how that's managed, but I do know philosophically, I think Mike Norvell's probably looking at things right now and saying, all right, here's how I want to do it. We'll just save that plan for 2021 and beyond because here's how we're going to have to do it in 2020. Andrew, next up, how bad does losing this 2020 season hurt the Big Ten in future recruiting? Will a team like Ohio State lose a bunch of blue-chip recruits? I don't think so, Andrew. Now, you brought up Ohio State. No, I don't think Ohio State is going to suffer all that much. I think that Ohio State is in a different classification. That's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is, how does Michigan handle it? How does Penn State handle it? How does Wisconsin handle it? What does a team like Michigan State or Iowa look like after this is all said and done? To me, Ohio State, in a lot of ways, I view as an independent. True, they are a Big Ten member. They wear that sticker on their helmet every Saturday. They may not be happy about it right now, but they operate almost in their own orbit. And so I don't think that this is any kind of fatal blow to Ohio State. And I'll tell you what else, if I were Ryan Day and that staff, if you've seen them, if you've listened to them and seen them, they have been very front-facing about this, and they have been vocally critical of this. And what they're doing is they are really maintaining their brand. You know, if you're a, if you're a 72-year-old Buckeye donor, that messaging means something totally different than it does to me if I'm a 17-year-old five-star wide receiver out of Tampa, Florida, and you're one of my final schools. Because I'm looking at you, and I'm saying, okay, your conference canceled on you, but, I mean, you fought tooth and nail to get that thing played. So you, you, that stuff was out of your control, but that program still kind of bleeds and oozes the DNA that I want to be a part of. That's what I see with Ohio State, but see, they also have results to sell. And that's the kicker for a lot of this. Like if I'm that five-star receiver from Tampa, I also want to be developed and go into the league and play for national championships and all that. And so you can sell me on that too. If you're at Penn State, if you're at Michigan, you can sell me on the vision of doing that, but you can't quite match what your brethren in Columbus, Ohio can do. So, Andrew, I don't think the Ohio State situation is one to watch. Look past them. Look past them to Michigan. Look past them to Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, the second tier, if you will, of the Big Ten because there's only one team in the first tier up there. How did they handle it? Because that is really how the Big Ten and the health of the Big Ten will ultimately be determined when we come out of this. Quick reminder, as we move on here, five-star reviews. It's all I ask. They're free, and you can only do them in Apple Podcasts, so if you're listening elsewhere, don't even worry about it. It's probably just a waste of your time. You just fast-forward 15 seconds and be done with it. And then subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel as well. Now, Gus, we're about to ask his question. He's got one of those good old-fashioned gambling questions and we talk about that a lot during the season. We haven't really in the off season, but I'll hit that right after this break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back. And Gus Golden, frequent contributor to Late Kick Extra, 
He asks, are you going to do your five best plays every week this college football season? I always loved that aspect when you were independent. Yes, I am, Gus. I am uh, someone who goes about that a little bit differently. And if you've watched Late Kick when I was independent, you know. And if you don't, you'll find out soon enough. Uh, but we, we're pretty methodical with the way we do that. What we normally do, and I plan on keeping this format this year, is I know a, a lot of you, you know, the show is kind of like a buffet. I try and present the show as a buffet. Some of you like the Q&A stuff. Some of you like behind the scenes. Some of you like all access stories. Some of you like hardcore game breakdowns. Some of you like gambling. And most of you probably like a little bit of a lot of that. So, you know, it's kind of the, it's the buffet style of presenting a show. And I know a lot of you care about the gambling aspect. But what I try and do is I try and tailor our gambling content in a manner that's entertaining to someone who has never bet a nickel on football. Because I know a lot of you are out there. A lot of you, and this kind of shocks some people, but a lot of you do not bet on this, but you're fascinated by the concept of odds making and point spreads and over-unders and how those move and how the market affects those changes. And you're just kind of fascinated with the science of it, but you're not wagering your money on it because you don't want to live off ramen noodles. And that is fair and that is probably a wise approach to life. So that's how we present that. But I give you five plays per week and one of them we release on Sunday night. And our entire philosophy behind that is you know, if, if you know what you're doing, you want to get as much of your action down on Sunday night and Sunday afternoon as you can. You don't want to be waiting until Thursday or Friday when all the uh, value is pounded out of those lines. So we give our best bet on Sunday night, which is 24 hours after the previous week's games have ended. As soon as those numbers are being put on the board, we're giving you one on Sunday night. And then we deliver the rest on the Tuesday night and Thursday night shows on Late Kick Live which is all the more reason to tune into every show that we produce. But yes, Gus, those will be presented this year. Caleb is up next. If a majority of universities shift to remote or virtual learning, but they keep players on campus, how can the NCAA justify calling them amateur athletes that shouldn't be paid? Well, this is a loaded question. So let's take the entire name, image, and likeness issue off the table, because that's already been addressed. That's being pushed through. So very shortly, guys are going to be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. But what Caleb is asking here is essentially, wait a second, if, if you're treating them different than normal student athletes, and you're saying that this environment is not safe for what I call civilian students, but it is safe for players, and you're holding them to different standards and different protocols, how can you reasonably call them student athletes? And it's an understandable, it's probably the biggest hurdle, really truth be told, behind the scenes that a lot of administrators have struggled with here. I've not struggled with it because I don't think this has been any breaking news. I mean, I don't think this is anything that's a revelation to anyone. It's always kind of been, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. We all get it, but no one talks about it. So listen, no one's stupid here. Everyone understands that the left tackle at Alabama is treated a whole lot different than a poli-sci major at Alabama who is 5'8", 135 pounds and lives in Bessemer and otherwise like works at Burger King Monday through Friday. It's just different. You're treated different. We all know you're treated different. Even the kid who works at Burger King knows he's going to be treated different and he's okay with it because he sits in that stadium and cheers the left tackle every Saturday, hopefully. And so when I look at it, I remove that from the table as well, and I say, okay, once we get past that, and we all understand that, uh, there are several instances in the year where kids are on campus when the student body's gone home. Have you ever observed bowl practice? Like, have you ever observed winter break when everyone else goes home and those guys are staying on campus? What do you think they're staying there for? You think they're staying there just because they don't have any family to go home to? They're staying there because they're getting ready for games. They've long since been treated differently than everyone else. So, Caleb, I don't look at it that way, but I understand the sentiment. I understand what you're saying, and I don't think that a lot of administrators and you know people in positions of power in Indianapolis and elsewhere, because they only have really limited authority at the NCAA when it comes to the Power 5 level of this whole ordeal and situation, I don't think a lot of them are quite as ready to have that conversation as loosely as I just did. So for that reason, Caleb, you submitted the question to the right podcast, because if you submitted that question to NCAA headquarters, you can't even imagine how many pieces of paper uh, they would have cut down a rainforest in their response to you. All kinds of legal words that you and I could never understand or decipher. It'd be a mess.
Next up is CC1999. I knew when I put this one in here, this is going to sound like a plant question. A plant question is one that basically you submit yourself. And I do not engage in that practice, but this is going to sound like I do. CC1999 asks, if we get you to a thousand five-star reviews, can you just do a true 24-7 format? Because five hours per week still isn't really enough. And now you see why I think that you think that that's a plant question. But I promise you it's not. You can see that. And I think that came from the podcast review section. Here's what I'll say about a thousand five-star reviews. We want them. We want them bad. We want a, we, we want a thousand bad. It, you know, remember when Coach Yost's daughter in Remember the Titans, when he makes the move that's right from a moral standpoint, but it cost him the Hall of Fame, and she sits there and she says, I ain't going to lie. I wanted the Hall of Fame real bad. Well, that's how we feel about a thousand five-star reviews. We want them real bad. So get us there. Now, here's what I can't do. I cannot promise you any kind of 24-7 format because I do have to eat and sleep and whatnot, but I'm sure we can come up with something. And to be honest, whereas I had a plan for when we got to 500 five-star reviews, I may just leave it up to you. I may just take submissions from you about which kind of ideas you want. So you can choose your own prize, and then I'll choose the best idea, the most reasonable idea. Can't take you on tours of the studio right now because we're locked down. Colin and I are the only adult males or females allowed in that building right now. But we'll come up with something, and I may just let you come up with it. But get us there first. I think we're close to 600 right now. So get us there. And then we'll figure that out. All right, next up, this is a pretty good one here. Can you explain home field advantage and what all goes into it? I remember the Notre Dame at Georgia game from last year, and it was obvious the crowd affected Notre Dame. But how does that noise not also hurt the home team? This is a good question. I think a lot of you who are experienced football fans probably listen to this and you think the answer is common sense. I think it's a little more in depth than that. Now, obviously, the biggest factor during a game when you go on the road is that the coordination of the home fans is such that they make a whole lot of noise when you're on offense. And when you're on offense, you're trying to communicate and you're trying to audible. And the more noise there is, the harder that is. And that's why you see a lot of those hand signals and people go what they call silent count. It's a lot of times when you will see a quarterback clap his hands instead of saying, hut. Well, it's because their center wouldn't be able to hear that, and so you can hear the clap of hands. And uh, most of you know that. Some of you may not, so I just go through it because I know someone out there is probably a first-year college football fan listening to this. And so the basic premise there is you go on the road, you know that the road team is going to have to go silent. Offense is going to be impeded by crowd noise. Now, what Brian was asking here is, okay, but... I mean, that noise is happening. The home team's defense is on the field too, right? Yes, they are. But they're in their set. Like, they know what they're doing, and it's all hand signals. It's all hand signals defensively, and you got usually your middle linebacker, your guy calling plays there, and it can all be delivered via hand signal. What used to take 30 seconds to deliver a play call in, it's not a couple of hand signals. It's really crazy how they've shaved that down by necessity. And so typically... You don't, see, you don't see the defensive players being rattled by their own home crowd. But that's just crowd noise, okay? That's not all home field advantages to me. I've talked about this before, but it's been a little while. We got a new batch of listeners. One of my favorite aspects of college football is home field advantage. Now, obviously, the atmospheres are just incredible. And if you're blessed enough and fortunate enough to grow up where I grew up, and a, lot of you, a lot of you grew up in the South or the Big Ten, it fits this description too. You just walk into these places and they're cathedrals. Some of these stadiums started being built in the early 1900s and you've had several subsequent expansions and they've just become these huge coliseum type buildings, in some cases seating 90, 100, 105,000 people and all of them are passionate and all of them are at full throat. And you see that, you see it on TV, you see it when you're sitting out there in the stands if you go to a game. But sometimes you don't get to see the conditions around a locker room. You don't get to see the conditions in a locker room, maybe even tunnels that go to a field. And so just briefly to walk you through some of this, everything is done with purpose. And when you renovate stadiums at the college level, home team gets all the greatest amenities and they barely touch the road locker rooms. Some of these locker rooms 
aside from maybe a, you know, a layer or two of enamel paint every now and then, they haven't been touched. It could still have asbestos in the ceilings of some of these locker rooms. And it's great. Oh, it's wonderful because it's true home field advantage. Here's what's cool, though. These major programs, the Alabamas of the world, Texas, Ohio State, Clemson, when they travel, it's massive. Not just their roster, all the support staff, all the medical staff, the training staff, the nutrition staff, everybody that rolls with these traveling parties. You have family of coaches and whatnot. It's so many people, they can't fit them in the locker room. And so sometimes, what I'll do, just to watch it happen, because it's a fascinating process, I'll go up a tunnel when I know there's about two minutes to halftime. I'll go up the road tunnel, and I'll sit outside a road team's locker room, and you'll have circles of folding, folding chairs, like metal chairs, you know, like you would used to use to hit your opponent over the head with before they banned it in pro wrestling. They'll just be seated out all in the concourse, and you're under this, like, dank, kind of moist, dark bowel of a stadium, it's because they can't fit all the position groups in the locker rooms. And so there's this entire structure of halftime. Half of it happens in a locker room. Some of it's spilled out of the locker room. And guys are just all over the place. You're trying to eat those peanut butter and jelly crustable things. They A lot of them love to eat those at halftime and Gatorade all over the place. And so you have training going on. You have retaping going on. Meanwhile, in the home locker room, everyone's got a nice cushioned, climate-controlled chair. Everyone's got their own locker. It's great. I, it wouldn't surprise me if they're serving prime rib at halftime. But that is a big difference that not a lot of people get to see. Now, you've planned for it, obviously. Like, if you're Georgia and you're going into Auburn, you've been there several times, you're planning for it, but it doesn't make it easy. And also, I'll tell you another thing about some of these places. If you look at the corridors and the tightness of the corridor, Everything's designed with a purpose. You'll notice conveniently, a lot of times, the corridor, the tunnel, in other words, to the road team's locker room, it is built so narrow that you can only fit one person through there at a time. Now think out loud, what does that do? What it does when you gotta get 100 people up that tunnel is it shaves off just a little bit on the front end and the back end of your halftime. What if you buy yourself, if you're the home team, what if you buy yourself an extra minute 45 seconds, two minutes 25 seconds that you get at halftime that they don't get. Who's to say how that affects a one possession game? But home field advantage is a huge, huge thing in college football. Huge thing. Love it. Love to observe it. And I show it to you guys as often as I can. All right, we got one more here. And then again, we've got another one coming up in about 48 hours. So fear not. I mean, we're ending it uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes earlier than we normally would. But We'll be back very soon. Pierce and Kyle, actually, let's get two more, because Pierce and Kyle, you guys asked questions that were kind of similar. It was about the extra year of eligibility, and I want to table that, because I think the answer would probably go a lot longer than I wanted it to go on this podcast, and it'd go many different directions. So let's table that. I saw them. I saw the questions. Let's table that, and we'll get back to that. Jake asks, do recruiting services put too much emphasis on camp performance? Uh, there's only one recruiting service I look at. There's only one worth looking at in my mind, and it's the one that I work for, 24-7 Sports. I know that some people on our recruiting staff probably wouldn't go as far as to say that publicly, but I will. Uh, so it's just thorough. It's just an unmatched network in the industry, uh, scouting, unmatched. And so I see what goes on behind the scenes so I can confidently say it's the best by 10 miles in the industry. Now, as for camp performances, Jake, I think it's a case-by-case basis. Sometimes, and I think the guys who work here are guys who have been in this long enough to see through this, sometimes what you'll have is you'll have a guy who is a camp star and a guy that in shorts and t-shirt just wows you. And the vertical jump, you go through all the combine workouts and he's just a freak, a camp setting freak. But then you pop on his tape and you, you're looking for him and shouldn't he be popping off the screen? Where is he at? Was he hurt? Is he in the game? Yeah, he's right there. Wow. Yeah, he must have been hurt this game. And you find out, no, he wasn't hurt. He's just not a football player. Uh, he's, he's a camp guy. He's not a football player. And so you got to be careful with that. And there's a lot of 
A lot of folks who are cognizant of that, I'll say, because I listen to the conversations here at 24-7. They talk about it constantly. But I will also say this. Camps are important. They're very important because think about it from the other aspect. Jake, if you popped on a tape and you had a guy playing, let's say, 1A ball down in Georgia. That's where I'm from. You got a guy down there in Brock Vandergriff right now who's playing lower caliber high school football, but yet he's an extremely highly rated quarterback. Well, that probably didn't come off film alone because you can only tell so much about a guy who's playing against vastly inferior competition. But when you get him in an elite 11 setting, for example, and you got him right there in front of you, your eyeballs are on them, and the other best quarterbacks in America, and they're comparing very favorably. You're watching the ball come out of their hand. You're checking off their height and their weight. You can check off all the measurables, but you can see how they carry themselves. You can talk to them. Do they look you in the eye? How firm is the handshake? How big is the hand size, for that matter, while you're doing the handshake? How do they carry themselves? Are they intimidated? Are they walking broad-chested? Do they look right at home competing against the best in America? That's the kind of stuff that does not pop off a tape in 1A football that you may pop in. So in that setting, camp is very important. My answer here is it has its pluses, it has its advantages, but at the end of the day, there still will never be a substitute for watching a football player play a football game. And if you're not skilled enough to be able to tell how good that football player is, or pretty close to being able to tell how good that football player is when you're watching him play a football game, you may just need to find another line of work. That's why, again, I count myself very fortunate that I get to work at a place where you got the best in the industry. And they do it every week. They hammer on it every week. I mean, I was listening to our rankings council fight the other day about a ranking for a guy in the class of 2023. Think about that for a second. So if it's that thorough already for the class of 2023, how much more thorough must it be for this cycle and the next cycle? Because 2023 is still a good ways down the road. Big 10 may be playing football by 2023. That's, that's crazy to think about. All right, again, remember we are bringing you another episode of Late Kick Extra on Thursday. It'll be released Thursday morning. Jordan, new to the podcast team here, at least, with Late Kick, doing a great job banging these things out. And so give him a round of applause. And also tune back in. Subscribe. I would assume you have already if you're listening. But also subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And give me a follow on Twitter, too, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter. A lot goes down that we don't always have time to talk about. And if it's 1135 in the morning on a Friday, probably not going to go live emergency style on the YouTube channel. So that's where you'll want to be. Until next time, again, for Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick Extra podcast. Take care. God bless. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.